Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is a great joy of mine today to be able to talk to my cousin that I actually watched grow up. We grew up together, and uh, and I get to talk to, his name is Micah Cantley, I get to talk to a former Navy SEAL. My cousin is a former Navy SEAL, and so, Micah, how you doing today, man? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good and excited about our convo, and uh, Thanks, yeah, well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll just get right into it. Yep. Father, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for not just a cousin, I thank you for a brother in Christ, and I'm excited just to hear the insights that, that he has based on his experience and, and the life that you have called him to lead. I thank you for his family, and God, just guide the discussion. I trust that you will. I pray you'd make it profitable and helpful for all the people who listen, and just just guide it. Point us to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. I know you, but my listeners don't, so why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what you're currently doing. Yeah, so my name is Mike Cantley. I'm about 17 years old. I just decided to uh, become a Navy SEAL, kind of on a whim. Uh, one of my dad's friends was an ex-Army Ranger, and I went to him one day and said, hey, I want to do the hardest thing out there. What, what's the coolest thing? If you could do it all again, what would you do? And he's like, oh, hands down, I'd be a Navy SEAL. So mm. from that point, I was like, oh, cool. That, that sounds like a good idea. What's a Navy SEAL? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I kind of researched a little bit, decided that's what I wanted to do. Um, went down to a local recruiting station in between my junior and senior year of high school. Senior year of high school. Uh, and they told me I need to swim. So I, I learned how to swim in about two weeks. Uh, took the test to get a contract to go to BUDS. And uh, from that point, uh, about two weeks out of high school, I went to Navy boot camp. Uh, went through SEAL training, became a SEAL. Um, and I was also a medic as well. So after SEAL training, I went through about a nine month, uh, medic training and then went to SEAL team three, was at SEAL team three for about five years where I deployed to Afghanistan and about eight other countries in the, in the Middle East. Um, and then after that I became a CQT instructor, which is basically close quarters combat, um, at our training school, um, which is called SEAL qualification training. Okay. So I was there for about three years as well, training all the future SEALs. I got them at the very end of the pipeline, so they were kind of already through the selection process, and we were doing more of the teaching period of training. Um, still got to have a little bit of fun, um, but it was definitely towards the end there. Um, and then after that, I got out of the military, um, couldn't decide what I wanted to do, I tried about 100 different routes, hmm. um, and I finally landed in a position that I actually have a have a good passion for, which is um, I work for GE Healthcare, and I represent the entire portfolio from MRIs to portable x-rays and ultrasounds um, across all VAs and DODs in the southeast. Um, so basically, any issues they have, I kind of represent kind of a liaison between the VA and, and GE. Um, so it's it's a good little good little spot. Very cool. Well, it's neat just to see the trajectory of your life, man. Because when we were young, so like our families would always swap kids for a week yep. during the summertime. So Micah would come with his sister, and they would come. He and Erica would stay for a week at our house, and then we would go. Me and my sisters to stay a week at their house. 
one of the things I always remembered, we'd be at Joyce and John's and anywhere we would go swimming is that you loved swimming from the earliest age. I remember literally seeing you because I'm like, so I'm thir- you're 31. Are you 31 now? 30. You're 30. Okay. So I'm six years older than you. And I remember when you were little, you'd jump in and it looked like you were drowning. You would jump off the diving board at John and Joyce's and then you'd just <laughs> pop up out of there and then just wipe the water off your face and keep going. But to see that be a big part of your life yeah. later on is pretty cool. Uh, it's just oh, really yeah. cool. And I mean, how many uh, guys know at 17, I want to be a SEAL and actually do it? I mean, your story is so cool. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, and yeah, I always had a love for the water, but I never knew how to go forward. So that was always the hard part. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's definitely very unique. In fact, most most SEALs um, go through college first. So unlike the normal military, um, where a low amount of people have degrees that are enlisted, uh, over 80% of enlisted SEALs have college degrees. So um, very, very uncommon for that, that low of age and a little bit harder in my opinion, but okay. it was fun. Yeah. I mean, cause you're, I mean, you're leaving your, your parents' house and I mean, your first time yeah. stepping away from your home, you know, typically people are going, if they go away, they're going to college, they get to come home at Thanksgiving, you know, they're getting into college life and here you are in training and I mean, starting your life. I mean, not just goofing cool. off for four years. Uh, but man, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Okay. So you were, uh, uh, in the seal on seal team three, and then you were a trainer. I think I saw somewhere floating around the family like pictures or something. Something like ninety nine successful missions or in the nineties. I mean, you had missions over several years that that you did. I mean, so you were at it for several years doing. I mean, just some amazing things for our country. And man, I don't know if I got that number right, but honestly, just from from uh, a cousin, but also just from somebody that's an American. Thanks for the thanks for the work you did, man. For real. Yeah, it's like I always tell people, thanks for paying those tax dollars to allow me to shoot guns, jump out of planes, and do fun stuff for a living. You know, I mean, it was, that's all it was to me. It was it was a good time. It was it was the dream. I mean, every kid wants to be one for Halloween for a reason. I mean, it's it's the coolest thing ever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, taking the risks that we did with the the brotherhood and and things like that. I mean, it was totally worth it. And even guys that I know have passed away from doing it. I mean, it's it's what they would have wanted. You know, I mean, it's it's yeah. kind of the uh, the hero's way out type of thing. So it's 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 all right. Gotcha. So, man, you, you experienced high-intensity training, and then as a trainer, you're in high, a high-intensity trainer, and then you've transitioned now into civilian life, and I can imagine that being a very difficult transition, going from adrenaline, 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 to I'm waking up at 6 in the morning, getting my cup of coffee, and then doing medical stuff. How was that transition for you? How did you get back into normal, normal routines of life? Uh-huh. It, it was it was very hard. Um, in fact, there's about a hundred foundations out there that work at you know helping seals transition, and I don't think either none of them have the correct solution. I've I worked with all of them. Okay. Um, and it, I mean, it's it's depressing to be honest with you. I mm. mean, you go from being at the pinnacle of you know, like I said, every every kid wants to be you. Every grown man I talk to is like you know try and get cool stories from me. Yeah. Uh, you go from that to getting out, and um, you're perceived to have a lot of um, you don't have many other skills other than being a SEAL, which mm-hmm. I would assume, assume would, be, would be true for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, you get back out, so you kind of start, start back at ground ground zero and mm-hmm. try and claw your way back up. And so it's just really demoralizing. You lose that. You lose the brotherhood. Um, you know, while you were a SEAL, everyone was like you. You could meet a guy for the first time and instantly be best friends with them. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I, I imagine it's, it's kind of the same loneliness a lot of pastors feel when they come out of seminary, honestly. <laughs> uh, I could imagine the same thing where, you know, you come out and you're like, everybody was my boy and now no one wants to be my friend because, you know, I, 
Yeah. They're, they're, they're scared of me. Yeah. You know, which it's I weird. Assume is the same for pastors. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is this aura of being a seal where, I mean, I think Scott, you give you gave Scott a T-shirt or something. I was a little bit jealous that he got a T-shirt, by the way. So if you ever get a seal hat that you want to throw out, I'll give you my address and you can send it my way. But he said he was wearing that shirt, and then somebody came up to him basically in awe and was like, "Oh my gosh, were you a seal?" And and so there is this aura I can imagine that that goes with being a seal. And then man, finding that finding that way. Now, when did you meet Emily? Was it right after you got out? When when did you guys meet? Uh, it was right before my last deployment, so I was in okay. the SEAL teams for about nine years active duty. Uh, the last four, three or four, I was with her. Okay, so it was right before that last deployment. Okay, I couldn't remember the timeline of that. And then the first kids came along. When did you guys have? When did you guys end up having children? Uh, we waited a month uh, to get pregnant after we got married. Okay, so about ten ten months after we got married, we had our first kid. <laughs> quick, man, that's quick. Yeah. Hey, you know what? But later on down the road, when they're grown, and you would like you're going to be happy that you didn't wait five, six years when they're oh, yeah. grown and gone. And then having children being a younger grandparent rather than older grandparent is going to be a, a really cool thing for you. But okay, let's, let's, so uh, now you're not a pastor and typically I'm interviewing pastors. So some of my listeners may yep. be wondering, you know, why, why we, you know, this is great. You know, Micah sounds like a great guy. He's your cousin. That's cool. But, but why are you talking to him about, you know, I mean, for pastors and uh, here, here's essentially the reason why I wanted you, wanted you to come on and, Pastors are men, and as we talked about even before we started recording, a lot of pastoral failures and difficulties that pastors face, it's not necessarily in the work of being a pastor. It's in the work. It's in the world of Christian manhood, where pastors just struggle to live life, to know how to live as a Christian man, as a as a child of God, as a husband, as a father, and then they don't know how to face adversity. They're not just built for adversity. So they, they've been told for years, well, you're just a firefighter. There's fires in the church because somebody's upset. They didn't get the, the, the kind of meal that they wanted for the, for the banquet. And you got to go and talk to them about why they shouldn't be upset or whatever it may be. They, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They don't know how to face the challenges that come their way as a Christian man. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you is how did your, you know, moving the training you received, you have to, I mean, push your body to the, the, to the absolute limits, your mind to the absolute limits. How did that, I mean, that, that was a difficulty getting back into civilian life, but how did it train you for life beyond Navy SEALs? How, how did it train you for the challenges that you have faced? And how could that maybe the things you've learned as a SEAL, um, be translated into normal everyday life for a man. Yeah, and so the, the point of training most of the time isn't anyone can make it through training. Um, like I said, I was I was 18 years old. I was 135 pounds um, uh, when I started. Um, but there were the guys that were alongside me who were Olympic swimmers. There was another guy who held a world record for most amount of pull-ups in 12 hours. Wow! They both quit. You know, at 18 years old, I still got through it. And so a lot of people look at SEALs and look at, you know, who's the biggest, baddest, toughest guy. They're the one that's going to make it through it. Um, in fact, it's always funny that as an instructor, you, you know, you'd look at it and you'd place your own bets knowing what the recipe is and you'd always be wrong on who would really? actually make it through. Huh. Um, and, and that's because the, the training is really, it isn't to, to break guys physically, it's to break them mentally. Gotcha. How, how do you look at things and one prioritize where you're going with what you're doing and how you simplify things so you know especially in combat and this is the reason that we do it obviously because seals are trained for combat mm -hmm. is 
there are about five billion things going on. So what do I actually need to know? How do I break that down, make it simpler? And how do I prioritize it? Okay. Um, and, and how do I prioritize in a difficult situation? You know, if, if I'm treating patients while there's firefight going on, so say my buddy is laying next to me bleeding out, but yet there's a, still an enemy actively engaging at me. Uh-huh. You know, it, it sounds terrible, but I'm going to let my buddy stay there for a while while I try and win the fight. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't win this fight, then not only is this guy going to be passing away, but so are the, everybody else around me. Um, you know, so, yeah. you know, what's the biggest problem right now and how do I fix it? While still coming up with the chess game, beyond that so you know it's a lot of times it's, it's a mix between checkers and chess yeah. um with what you're playing um and so i think that's really the biggest takeaway as i came over to civilian life in my current role right now i i have about 90 to 100 indirect reports underneath me as salespeople. you know and being able to manage all of that at once it it can get pretty <laughs> pretty mm. hectic at right. times but understanding who actually needs the help and who doesn't, mm-hmm. um, which I assume, I mean, and I'll let you be the one that translates stuff, but I mean, like, I would assume it's a similar for pastors. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody wants a pastor's help, yeah. but a pastor can't do everything. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? It, there's only so much capacity. You're still a man. Mm-hmm. You still have, you know, you still have a family. You still have kids. What actually needs done versus what is just a distraction from getting the real mission done, Yeah, that's um, good. which, which I assume is a big one. Um, and, and can I can I interject? Can, let me interject a thought, yeah. a, a thought, and a yeah. question here, as well. So I mean, you're trained mentally to make these decisions where you're not having to just process it. You're instant. You're you're just trained to instantly know what is the priority. So I mean, in a, in a high intensity situation like you just described, you didn't have to analyze. Like you know, you have a, a buddy bleeding out. You have active yeah. fire coming your way. You instantaneously know because you're you're trained and done the work beforehand to know what is my priority here. What's the most important thing I need to be doing? Because these are split second decisions. I'm assuming you're not you don't have a, a a whiteboard to be able to to draw out pros and cons of treating him or actively active engagement here. And so there there is a way that you can train so much where you by default know what the priority is. Is that correct? I mean, where you just instant you're just living out what you know to be the greatest priority in any given situation. To an extent, I mean, it's just a lot of uh, repetitive training behind being able to make quick decisions. So, okay. um, obviously, we, we train and train and train. Um, I mean, we have literally a year and a half of training for every six months of deployment. Oh, wow. So, and that's repetitive every time. So, if I do I do a year and a half of training, six-month deployment, a year and a half of training, six-month deployment. Okay. Now, obviously, even within that year and a half, there's no way I can throw every possible situation, especially when bullets are flying I mean, there, there's there's absolutely zero way you can replicate everything unless it's a single mission like the Osama bin Laden raid or something like that. Right. And even then, there's going to be variables. But um, it's understanding the basics. Okay. That makes you win. Yeah. So every year and a half, we come back, or every two years, so every year and a half of training, we start at the very bottom. So SEALs are masters of a lot <laughs> okay. you know so every every time we start back at the very bottom we start with getting three yards away from a, a standard or a standing target mm-hmm. we shoot thousands and thousands of round three yards away oh wow 
you know, we're not we're not trying to do fancy upside down shots or you know sitting on my head type of maneuvers. It's literally understanding what the basics are to the fullest extent and being perfect at it. In order to once things get complicated, I can always go back to the simplest form that everyone on the team understands. I understand, yeah. and we can execute on that perfectly um, because you're never going to be able to account for every situation out there. Yeah. Man, that's so good. And for the pastors listening in, you know, I talk pastoral priorities a lot on the site. There's articles about the, the five callings of a pastor and the seven pastoral priorities. As Micah's talking here, I'm thinking through like there there are some base there are some basics of pastoral ministry and life as a man that we need to get down that God has prescribed to us. They're not ethereal. They're not out there floating around for us to, you know, finally discover one day when we're 48 years old. They're just basic and they're just scriptural commands that are just, hey, here's how life works as a Christian man and here's what pastoral ministry looks like. And so I want to challenge the pastors, as, as Mike is talking about a shot three yards away and taking thousands of rounds of shots, uh, we know as a pastor that the central thing for us is is our life with Christ. It's the everyday disciplines of, of walking with God and humbly before God and men. And that's not going anywhere. That's the basics. And so those are things that we need to repeat. Wake up in the morning, spend time with the Lord in prayer, and then do that again the next day. And then the next day. And then the next day, it's not going anywhere. So what you're saying, there really is some things that transfer here. But anyways, okay. Okay, go on. Now, what, what are some other things that, that are, are transferable that, that you have kind of been doing and connecting the dots with your training in life? One second, let's, let's repeat that because I've got kids banging on the door. That's okay. And I can edit this out too because right, cool. anything here, that's fine. Okay. Hey, buddy, I'm on the phone. Okay? Here, go get your underwear. Uh, there's none of underwear here. <laughs> go tell mommy that all the clothes are on the bed. And tell, tell her I'm on the phone with the recording going, so please don't come in here. Okay? Right, I just got back from the pool. Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times that happens with me, too. So I, I have to tell somebody I'm interviewing, hey, can you wait for a second? My my son's escaped their room with their mother, and they're running down here now. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. anyways, okay, so now there's there's that. Now tell us what are some other ways that you found that your training has equipped you for life. And then we're going to go down through this, and we're going to talk uh, just your life as a man, but life as a husband and even as a father. What are some things that have, have equipped you in that? But what else in your work, yeah. in your civilian work that – that's been a good transition for you? Uh, understanding how and when to delegate helps too. Okay. Um, you know, and it's really on the same point as a simplification. You know, every, so the SEAL teams, you travel in 16 man platoons. There are a number of different specialties that you have to have. Uh, for instance, mine was being a medic. I was also a lead breacher, which means I basically was the one who blew things up. So if okay. we needed to get into a door, door that was locked, uh, or, you know, through a porthole or something like that. Was, you know, I'd use explosives. I'd use different equipment in order to get through there. Okay. But you also have snipers. You have guys who are JTACs, which essentially are the ones controlling where the airplanes drop bombs. So there's just a million different things. So our leaders have none of those jobs. Okay. So they have to understand, and we even have to understand, how to delegate. So if we need a medic over here, understanding that I may may have other responsibilities. So I may have the uh, important job of needing to breach the door that we have coming up. Yeah. But being the only medic on my squad, so eight guys in a squad, um, we typically separate. Um, I can't necessarily treat this guy because we need to get in the door. The door is a higher priority. Yeah. Okay, what's his 
guy's wounds. He only has a leg bleed. Okay. Joe over here knows how to put a tourniquet on. Mm-hmm. Joe, put the tourniquet on. Yeah, now, um, go. You know, being, being able to delicate things. Um, and, 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 and civilian life has really been the same. Okay. You know, doing what I do, I'm, I'm no, not an expert in any piece of equipment that I sell. But I have people who are experts in those things. And then I have even a, a level in between the two of us, which is a little bit kind of like that that other random the Joe who can put a tourniquet on. They can talk about MRIs. Mm-hmm. They may not be able to dive into the physics of it, but I can't even do what they can do. So being mm-hmm. able to understand when to delegate and who to delegate to has really been a, a good lesson learned and coming out. That's so good. And pastors, I'll let you connect the dots there because there are so many dots to connect just from what Mike is saying right now about how how life in pastoral ministry and how your work. Um, um, goes every day from Sunday to Sunday and from other leaders, pastors, deacons, small group leaders, and who's gifted in what. So you connect the dots there. It's, it's easy to be able to see what Mike is talking about and how that transfers into ministry. So good stuff, man. Really good and, stuff. And I, think, I think a big part of that, too, is delegation doesn't only help me. Mm-hmm. It helps that guy. Oh, that's good. Because Joe putting the tourniquet on now has real-life experience on how to put a tourniquet yeah. on. He, he had the knowledge in his head already, but now he's confident in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, once again, translating to being a pastor, you know, having an elder or a deacon or yeah. just a person that's good, you know, they'll gain that confidence. He'll help you next time, too. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, because now Joe is a better soldier in the field than he was yeah. before. And exact same. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, now let, let's uh, again transition a little bit here and let's talk about life uh, just in the home with marriage and with yep. children. And even the best of marriages come with challenges. There's a difficulty because the the dad, the husband, grows up with a way of life that he just thinks is normal. He grew up, we just talked about your dad, you know, Jan and Eric, I love them, man, love your parents. And Eric, I always remembered, was like really, really just clean. He was just, he's really good at having things a certain way in the home. And so you grew up that way. Well, Emily grew up a different way, and I don't know her parents, but I'm assuming there's two different ways. You get married, and then you have all this experience, and she met you as a soldier. So how has that transition been, and how has your marriage been strengthened by some of the things that you learned as a SEAL? How's that, how has that transitioned? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's a continuum like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, so you don't have it all figured out yet? I wish, man. I, 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 I could say yes, but I think my wife would probably disagree. But I, I, think it's, I think it's unique, too, because you know, you're know you used to, as a SEAL, everybody goes to the same train. Everybody has the same uh, dedication. Um, they understand why they're coming there. Mm-hmm. They have the general purpose behind it. So it's easy to kind of understand that and, and rest on those things. But um, you know, as we were talking about before this, um, my first platoon, we had an orphan a guy from Compton, a guy who grew up in a multi-million dollar home, myself in the middle class, you know, having all those different types of people is actually what makes the SEAL teams unique because mm. you're able to have viewpoints for everything you do. During my deployment to Afghanistan, the guy who was a shipbuilder before, um, who was actually uh, an orphan for a little while, mm-hmm. was able to, you know, build everything for us in Afghanistan. He was able to do that, be able to help fix the, the locals' things and, and support them. Um, and, you know, obviously everybody brought their own thing. But I think it's it's one area in, in marriage where I'll, uh, you, you come into it and you expect everybody to be on the same mission and everybody to understand with the same training and things like that. But where where being a SEAL comes in is being able to check your ego at the door. Mm. Um, 
we, we do something called a hot wash, um, which is basically like a, um, I keep using military jargon, basically after we complete any type of training mission, any type of training, any real life mission, uh-huh. we all get together every single time, no matter what, we get back together and we talk about what we did wrong. So, mm-hmm. hey, during, during that last house run, um, say we're clearing a house, I should have gone left when I went right. Mm, okay. Uh, and understanding why it's difficult, because if I went left when I was supposed to go right, that means my buddy went the opposite way and his back was exposed for longer. Mm-hmm. So being able to debrief, I think, is the biggest piece. My, my wife would probably say I don't do a good enough job at it, but being able to understand each other and what's actually going wrong. You know, it, it's never going to be perfect, it, and, and it never was in the SEAL teams. Every single mission, no matter if you're a brand new guy or if you're on SEAL Team 6, there's always going to be something you do wrong and something yeah. you always need to fix. Um, and so I think that's one of the biggest principles I brought in was understanding how to understand each other. Yeah, <laughs> um, being able to to be honest and check your ego. You know, I know I'm not the best. I know I'm not the best husband. I know I'm doing things wrong. And be able to to take that and understand that there is someone who's more knowledgeable about my performance, who would be my wife, mm-hmm. and understand what I can learn from her. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest thing um, that I took away from the SEAL teams and put in my marriage. But um, there's, there's plenty of other things that um, that go along with it as well. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. interesting as you're talking through your life as a SEAL then, and, then, and how that transfers. The Christian worldview calls for repentance, not just at the beginning of the Christian life when we become a Christian, but all of life for the rest of our life is a turning away from sin. It's a turn away from our way. It's a looking to Christ and repentance and trusting Him and following Him. And, you know, functionally, what you just described was you're looking at film and saying, I should have gone left or should have gone right, is everyday repentance. It's, okay, I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to turn from the way I'm living or turn from what I'm doing and then do the right thing. I want to grow and be better. And that principle, I think, is is huge in marriage because there isn't, man, you know, as we as we get as longer we're married, Jordan and I have been married ten years, coming up on ten years, and, and God has really blessed us with a marriage that we have to work at it, but we get along really well naturally. We like each other. We just really like each other and get along. And actually, I can tell you this, and for all the listeners, this will be public knowledge when this comes out. We're having our third baby. I think I told you that maybe last week. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, having our third baby. Thank you very much. And... Uh, but we've had to learn new things about each other as we've gotten older. You know, as you're married, it's not like you you figure out everything you can figure out about your wife and then you're done. And for the rest of the life, you, you know, you're less of your life, you've got it all figured out. There's this constant growing and constant repentance and, and change that's required. And for pastors, it's weird as the SEALs are checking their ego at the door. In pastoral ministry, it's one of the few vocations where you're going to get ridiculed, but you're also by by people who are frustrated or upset. But you're also going to get praised every week. People are going to tell you how great of a job you did. You know, hey, that was great, pastor. You know, that was a great word today, and it's very well intentioned. But man, pastors can let that go to your head and think like, man, I'm something. You know, and so that checking your ego at the door is a consistent battle. I think that every every pastor deals with that we're going to have to deal with for the rest of our of our life is just slaying the beast that is pride. And for, for seals, I mean, I've heard that before like this. What is it about a seal uh, where there, it does seem like the ego is checked at the door. You know, you guys aren't marching around saying, Hey, I was a seal. I'm the man for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? 
Um, but what is what is it? A few books out there on the screen. Okay, maybe, yeah, maybe there maybe there are some out. There's probably some podcasts yeah. out there that I could find at some point, or some movies oh, yeah. uh, that. Uh, but so, what is that though that breaks the pride in seals? Is it just the training? Is that a part of it? How is it that that that's broken down? Yeah, it's all the training. I mean, in order to get through training, you have to be a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's, I'm sure there's a few random out, out stance, but you can't make it through training unless you're able to be a part of that team. Mm-hmm. In fact, <laughs> there are ways to get other students out of training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and everyone knows that. So being a teammate is the biggest part of it. So being able to understand once again, what you bring to the table and being able to take it from a real, uh-huh. um, the seal, the seal teams are unique in the fact that officers enlisted go through training together. Um, and in fact, it's what makes, in, in my opinion, the SEAL teams the, the most elite force in at least the states, if not the world, um, is that the leaders are able to take the same type of feedback as the junior guys. Oh, that's good. And that humility that they show, they actually go through a couple extra weeks where it basically is, I mean, it's purely just a humility training to understand how to take criticism. Because the feedback that the junior guys are giving, although it may be from a junior guy, uh-huh. a junior guy in the SEAL teams could be a 20-year 20, 20 SEAL talking to a, a new officer. Okay. You know, so the experience that they have is going to be so much more, whether it be in, in countries. So say we're in Afghanistan that officer has only been to Iraq mm-hmm. or you know they've never deployed to a combat area. It may be a junior person, but in the SEAL teams, seniority has nothing to do with your with your respect level, okay. how you perform day in and day out and how you treat others and your humility is what you're judged on. So gotcha. I don't care if you have, you know, two bars or, um, whatever your rank is. It's how I've seen you act in the past for my criticism is how I look at you for leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I think that's really where it's, it's driven from the top down and, Hopefully, it's nothing that changes in the future because it's definitely one thing that makes the, the teams unique. Yeah. Okay. So, man, you've, it, it seems like you've always had high capacity um, you know, responsibilities. So, as a SEAL, and then now you've got 90 to 100 people reporting to you. And a problem that I see across the board, not just for pastors, but just men in general, is a uh, the lines being blurred about who I, who I am and what I do. And so, th- we see this all the time where a man... His, his sole identity is in his work and, and what he does. And everybody else has to take second, third, and fourth uh, place at the table to the work. And now you, you're married and with children. How do you uh, maintain priorities of continuing to be a, a good, hard worker who does what you're supposed to do at work? I mean, six days you shall work. Work is good. It's given to us by God. Uh, it can give us a lot of meaning in life and a lot of purpose. But it's really, really terrible at giving us an identity. Um, and, uh, so those are good, I think, distinctions to make, but how have you maintained as a, as a husband and a father appropriate, um, you don't want your kids to, to know, or you don't want there to be a tension between family life and work, and yet you still have to work, you know, how have you maintained those, um, those distinctions and made your, your children a priority in your life? Um, I'd say it has a lot to do with Failures, in my opinion, early on. Um, I think being a SEAL is a lot more relatable to being a pastor than um, what I do now is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I think that's probably the most relevant. And I say that because 
your job is your life. Um, mm-hmm. As a SEAL, I traveled over 300 plus days a year. You're always on call to do something if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so your life is a SEAL. Your identity is a SEAL. Yeah. Um, and I think where the lesson was as I was transitioning out and I didn't have an identity. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand who I was outside of that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... As I transitioned, I realized that I could have been a much better SEAL if I would have made a better balance. Because huh. it, it, you you have to have someone who's your base. You mm-hmm. know, as a SEAL, like I said, you get judged every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, it, you it, uh, part of the ethos is am I trying it every day? If I go if I go in tomorrow, I'm the best the best SEAL in my platoon, or looked at with high regards. I mess something up that's um, you know looked at as a large mess up i'm Uh instantly to the bottom Mm -hmm. um it's not it's not a there's not a whole lot of repentance obviously earning things back is always there but having the base back at home to be what you rely on as um you know your your steady steady rock and Mm -hmm. these are the people that i can rely on day in and day out um i think really would have helped um but and so that's what i try to do now work is work is something i do something i'm called to do um, obviously, being pastor is a little bit different than mm-hmm. that because you know you're you're on call all the time. Right. Um, but I think that the, the biggest takeaway is I can't be whole. I can't provide the mm-hmm. best I am to my work and to my job if I'm not whole at home. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and go out there and um, you know tell people how to be married or tell people how to be right. messed up. Yeah. Um, and I'm not prioritizing that. So. That's good, man. That's, that's, that's probably the hardest part, in my opinion, to be a pastor. Yeah, sure. yeah, man, and, and I agree. Balance is something that everybody seeks in life, and it seems like in pastoral ministry that uh, it's easy to walk in one ditch on one side of the road and then pendulum swing and walk in the middle of the road, a healthy, balanced just uh, life for a little while and then in, only to end up in the other ditch on the side of the road and then after six months wake up and think oh man I'm uh, this isn't right I've, I'm like way out of balance now in this other way another direction and so uh, man I get that it's good stuff okay let's talk discipline for a minute and this will be kind of the last thing that we talk about here for the show discipline you you uh, just physical discipline and specifically talking about being in shape like with our body, but also just discipline in life, what needs to get done, getting getting that done, doing it, uh, doing that thing that needs to get done. Uh, you started training. I was I, not surprised, but I was uh, really just proud of you, man, for, for doing what you did with the, the SEAL team and, and at an early age when you're 17, seeing you decide to do that. And initially, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, really? I don't think, I don't know, man. Mike is going to be a SEAL? I don't know. Yeah. And then to see you do it, man, that's great. And then afterwards, you've stayed in shape. Uh, you're not 135 pounds anymore, um, but you're not a fatty. You know what I mean? Like you didn't just gain weight. You've kept physically disciplined after that. So, um, and driven. So, uh, to to a man who has lack of discipline, how have you, uh, how have you? got that and then maintained that. And then some things like for me, I'm a runner. I love running. It requires no discipline for me to run. It just, it, it did at the beginning, but then it got ingrained into my life. It's just a pattern that's set in my life. Now, the hard part is getting discipline in new categories of my life, you know, growing those either breaking bad habits or building new ones. That's the hard thing, but let's talk discipline. So how, how did you get that discipline? How have you maintained that discipline in life? 
both physically, like physical fitness, and with what you know, things like even with food, and then also with just tasks that need to be done, getting those things done. Yeah, I think it all goes back to uh, a lesson I learned uh, during Buzz. Um, and so, unlike you, I'm not a runner. Mm-hmm. I like I like lifting weights, um, specifically Olympic weightlifting, and so more of the quick, explosive things. Snatch, clean. Front exactly. squat, back squat. So you do front yeah. squats also? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, all, 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 so all the quick things that last about 10 seconds. Okay, gotcha. Um, that's, that's what I like. That's okay. what I like. You know, I, don't like <laughs> I don't like to run. So during during Buds, once again, I was a small kid. I was young. All these other guys were a lot faster and better than I was. So I would always fall behind in the runs. And I'd never be able to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, to the point one day, which is very embarrassing for me, but – we were on a big run and um, soft sand. I don't even know how many miles they don't tell you, but it was a group run. And one of the instructors literally just walked next to me. He's like, stop, look down right now. And he, he was literally just at a walking pace. while I thought I was just sitting there just running as hard <laughs> as I could. And, you know, a piece of advice he had for me, and it's actually a really common saying is, you know, it's, it's a whole lot easier to keep up than to catch up. Mm. because no longer, you know, if I would have stayed with the pack originally and not felt sorry for myself and, you know, started falling back to a point where I was literally going at a walking pace, Mm -hmm. now how much faster do I have to go in order to catch up to those guys? Yeah. And how much more am I exerting to catch up to them? Um, And and so from that point, I can't say I did much better on the runs. I was just a terrible runner. (laughs) But, you know, it it, it really made sense in in all of life. You know, the, the... the sooner it, you get things done, the easier they'll be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have, uh, for, a, I don't know if you've ever heard Admiral Craven's, uh, I think it's a UT graduation speech, uh-huh. where he's talking about making your bed. So he talks about essentially going through still training, um, you always have to make your bed. So the first thing you do when you get up in the morning is you make your bed. Um, it's a task. You knocked out a task. Mm-hmm. So no matter what happens, even if you have the worst day in the world, you come home to a nice made bed. Mm-hmm. You've completed something that day. You've made a you've made a movement forward. You've completed something at all. Um, and so the way I try and do it in life and how I try to keep up is I try and get what's important done out of the way. So you know, every day I'll make a list of these are the ten things I have to do today. Okay. What three are actually important? So mm-hmm. what can't wait till tomorrow? These three, okay, I'll do those things first. Mm-hmm. Then I'll, you know, go down the line of the priority that I do them. And I don't do it by what's bigger, what takes the most time. It's by what's more important. What, mm-hmm. what can I, what do I have to get done today? That way, at the end of the day, when and I love working out, so it's, that's not a hard one for me. But if if I if it was working out for me, so you're talking about not being a fatty, um, <laughs> which Jay Hud will be much better on that topic. Okay. But uh, <laughs> you know. It, if I know that's where I struggle, that's the first thing I'm going to do. Okay. So even if it means, and obviously it depends on where you work, obviously being pastor, I think it's a little bit easier to do this, but the first thing I do when I get up, instead of, you know, after you get in the Word and you say your prayers, the first thing I'm going to do is work out. Because mm-hmm. that's going to be the hardest thing for me to do. Yeah. Um, if good. I wait if I wait till the end of the day, it's the easiest thing for me to push off. Sorry, I, you know, I, once again, I, we got to prioritize our family, right? So mm-hmm. it's the end of the day, so I, I can't do it today. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so instead of doing that, doing it up front, and, and then having having a goal um, for the physical fitness part really helps me. So it was always easy during my time as a SEAL to be fit because I had to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, yeah. there, are, there are guys that weren't as in shape. Um, I think at my peak, I was around 180. 
Now I'm probably about 165, so I've lost a lot of weight since uh, since I was in the teams as far as a dedication standpoint. But when I first got out, once again, I didn't have a goal. Mm-hmm. What was I going towards? Why was I training? Um, I still got in the gym every day, but I still lost. For, it's been three years since I got out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lost 15 pounds of muscle in that time frame. I was still going to the gym every single day. Yeah. I was still doing similar workouts to what I was doing. But I didn't have anything to go towards. So although I was maintaining, I wasn't progressing. Okay. So once again, it, I'm, I'm, now I'm finally getting back into it where I'm, um, I have a goal to compete in Olympic weightlifting within awesome. a year and try and be more on a national stage within two to three years. So having that goal is something that's driving me and having someone to keep me um, compliant to it, you know, having that partner. Mm-hmm. Because no, no one's going to be able to make change unless you promise someone it. Um, yeah, you know, that's good. Uh, in, in the teams, I stayed in shape because every man beside me relied on me for their life. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't able to carry them out of there, they're going to die. If yeah. I couldn't get them to a place where I could evacuate them because I had to carry them or say I was, you know, I was tasked with going around a building and, and climbing a wall, if I couldn't get up that wall in time to give them cover – they would be on me. So mm-hmm. having that accountability with one another is, is really where I struggled the most in coming out. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle as well as they, they make these commitments. You know, you have your, your new year's resolutions, everybody makes them yeah. and no one keeps them. So being able to have someone that you rely on to do it. And then also understanding that, I mean, for physical fitness, it's really just, I can't take care of other people if they can't take care of me. And, and you know, I, I, I say this, no way it's not politically correct. So I'm not trying to fat shame anyone. That's, that's but see, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me. You don't have to be physically fit. I mean, it doesn't, I'm not saying everybody needs to be a bodybuilder. Everybody needs to be a marathon runner. But like when I, when I go somewhere, if, if my chief or, you know, in your instance, my pastor mm-hmm. wasn't in physically in shape and not necessarily like, you know, working out, like I said, but you know, obese, if I see that i say here's a guy who can't even control his diet he can't be compliant in his workouts um or just staying in shape yeah how how is he going to teach me to be compliant in my relationship with god Mm -hmm. because you know although you're a pastor and you do a very good job at staying in the word i mean it's your job to do that think about think about me i Mm -hmm. I work for g healthcare yeah you know how often i'm able to get in the word not very should yeah. I prioritize that to be the first thing that I do when I get up? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Should I find someone who is compliant with, with me and, and relying on me to do the same thing? Yeah. And so when I look at someone like my pastor and I see that they're overweight, it's like, well, they're not able to do something healthy for them. Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying to aspire to be as good as them, technically, you know, in some areas of life, like studying the Bible and being in the Word, I'm not as good, but hey, they, they slack off on some things too, so I'll be all right. Right, um, yeah. I think that's kind of where where the motivation would come in for me if I was uh, a pastor. Is, you know, I want to be the best example I could be for my people, and, and while I was a leader in the SEAL teams and while I'm a leader now in, in the corporate world, is I want to show people what the healthiest person to be. You know, God yeah, says to, to treat your body like a temple. I mean, am I, am I treating my body like a temple? Um, or, or not. And, you know, it's, I, I think, but once again, it all goes back to discipline. Mm-hmm. How disciplined are you? You know, Hey, if, if you're a pastor in a church, you find a person like, like myself who isn't as good in the word and as compliant, be like, Hey, listen, every day we're going to call each other. 
you're going to ask me if I worked out, and I'm going to ask you if you, if yeah, you stayed in the work. That's good. You know what I mean? Things like that. And so you can, once again, delegating authority, keeping things simple. Mm-hmm. You know, you delegate your uh, um, authority to be checked up on on your health to someone who could rely on you. Mm-hmm. Not only are you getting better yourself, but you're also giving leadership and buy-in from someone else. Yeah, that's good. You know, myself, if, for instance, if that's me, and I, I'm not, I'm a new believer or I'm not, you know, super into it, man, how much more does that make me feel valued in the church than to be relied on by my pastor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, and once again, back to the, back to the, the life and the work, I mean, being a pastor has to be one of the loneliest jobs in the world. Hmm. I mean, you, you see, you see your pastor, it's not someone that you typically think, hey, this is a guy I'm going to call over for, for you know, to hang out. To I mean, yeah, out, sure, I'll right. call him for dinner, but but if I, if I call him to hang out, then I got to watch my mouth. I have to, you know, <laughs> only have one or two drinks. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so having someone reach out and be like, hey, I need to rely on you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so where good. you not only start, you know, and, and we're kind of all subject to discipline, but I mean, that's really where it starts at being relied on and delegating authority and having that discipline being helped by others yeah because once again as as pastor you may think you can do it all but you definitely can't definitely. you know what i mean nope so i i think that's the biggest piece is is discipline comes in people relying on you and if I think, there's no reason for me to care then it doesn't matter yeah that's so good and, and i think that the other thing that military does a really good job with and the seals seem to do is, is brotherhood i mean when you're forged through fire and you've been training together and you've sweat and bled together and uh and then you know, there's there's a brotherhood there in the church world that and just life. I'm sure you've experienced this now in your 20s and 30s. Friendships really hard, especially when you have children. And oh, yeah. what you're talking about of building trust with each other and finding somebody to, to help you be strong in areas that you're weak, and then you help them be strong in areas that they're weak. That can at least get you a little bit closer to some some some, some form of brotherhood within a local church. And for pastors who need right. friends, that there's your way. Like what Mike is talking about is so crucial. Uh, to develop friends in the local church, to you don't to where you don't have to be the most most lonely man, you know, in the church because nobody wants to hang out with you, you know. And uh, man, you've got us, you've given us a lot of food for thought, a lot of great stuff to think about. And pastors, everybody that's listening in, I think that uh, that you're going to walk away from this conversation with just uh, you know some things to implement and to, some things to think about. And so, Mike, I appreciate you so much coming on the show, man. Yeah, no worries, and uh, I. One tip is, I don't know if you've ever heard Jocko Willink. Yeah, yeah. But he has a few books out that I'd recommend reading about leadership and understanding that. I think he's very, and the title of his book is Extreme Leadership. Okay. Um, so I think it's very fitting. He, he's very extreme in what he says, so I take everything with a grain of salt. But I think it's a very good, he, he does a good job of encapsulating everything that the SEAL team stand for and training okay. and, 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 and ethic, or in, you know, our, our background yeah. in, in that. So I'd recommend picking up those books that, you know, it'd be a good read. He's a fun Instagram follow too. So I'll put those yeah. li- I'll put those links in the show note that book that you just referenced yeah. and uh, and and Jocko's uh, Instagram handle as well. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, and I just appreciate it, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jared. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.